Thank you, Lord. Father, we thank you for the word this morning. Uh, we plead the blood of Jesus over us and over this time. And uh, Lord, I just pray for your anointing, for your wisdom to minister the word today. Uh, Lord, I thank you that we're going to mix our faith with it. And it is going to profit us today. And uh, all that it does in Jesus' mighty name. Thank you, Lord. Last week, we talked a little bit uh, about faith, and I kind of want to continue along with that. You know, you need faith for this season that we're in right now. Amen? You need faith for right now. To live in planet Earth in the year 2020, it takes faith to do it. You know, as of March of last year, our world changed very, very drastically. I mean, it's, it, when this virus thing started over and we started hearing rumors about it and this thing was coming and we really didn't know what it was going to look like or or what was going to happen and uh, all of a sudden you know come march it's like everything changed our world changed our kids school lives changed and uh, unfortunately i do believe that our children have been the biggest victims of what's going on because of this virus these are children children were not made to, to, to be at home studying at home alone they just weren't made for that. And uh, so we're using our faith right now. Do you know that our faith can change what's going on in our world today? He gave us faith to change uh, our atmosphere, just like he gave birds wings and he gave fish uh, gills to fish. He gave us as believers faith so that we can navigate and circumvent and, and really take charge of the world that God placed us in. And he did it by faith. If you're not here by faith this morning, you're not going to get anything out of this. One of my favorite verses in Psalms is, is my soul waits silently on God alone for my expectation is from him. If we're not here this morning with a sense of expectancy, and that really is the difference between relationship and religion. Religion is going to the same place over and over and over, hearing the same thing over and over, but never changing because of anything that I've heard. That is the definition of religion, doing the same things over and over and over without any expectancy of change. That's why there's a scripture that I really like in Proverbs, and it says, uh, like a tooth out of joint or a, a foot out of place, um, oh, help me, Lord. An unfaithful man is like a foot out of joint or a tooth that's out of place. When does your foot hurt? When you have a sprained ankle, when does it hurt the most? When you stand on it. When you have a bad tooth, when does it hurt the most? When you bite down on it. Amen? That is the definition of religion. When you step down under religion because you need it, it's like a broken foot. There's nothing there to hold you. There's nothing there to stabilize you. It's just like when you bite down on ice cream when you have a bad tooth. That ice cream tastes good for a moment, but all of a sudden when that ice cream hits that nerve, there's pain. That is the definition of religion. It hurts when you put pressure on it. It's good as long as there's no pressure, but the minute you have to put pressure on it, there's nothing to give back to you expectancy is what sets us apart. What are we expecting to hear this morning? What are we expecting from our walk? Can I just ask you this? And I asked it on a Tuesday night broadcast. What did your faith produce in 2020? 
What did your faith produce in 2020? All of us should be able to look back and say, I believed God for X, Y, and Z in 2020, and here's the manifestation of it. Now, there are some things that take years and years and years for us to receive. Amen? There are those 20-year faith projects. Anybody have one? I have some that have taken years that I'm still in the middle of. It takes years to believe God. If you're believing God for a person, which we should all be believing God for a soul, souls are the most important thing to the Lord. Amen? It's great to believe God for homes, for finances, for cars, vacations, promotions, raises. Those are wonderful things, and you should use your faith for those things. But the single most important thing to God is souls. Does anybody have somebody in your life that needs to be saved? Amen. Guess what? That's your faith project. Amen. That is the thing that you should be using your faith on, a singular number one. What did our faith produce in 2020? We all need to ask ourselves that question. And if I don't have anything to point back to, then I would think, I need a faith project. Your faith project is going to keep you engaged in the things of God. It's what keeps us from what the Bible calls becoming spiritual sluggards. When I am active in believing God for something, that means that there's a process that I'm doing over and over and over. See, what's so funny about the word of faith is that people think word of faith is a fly-by-night, name-it-claim-it, blab-it-glab-it, you know, that it's just all about airplanes and mansions. Folks, to walk by faith, you have to be so um, engulfed and so saturated in the Word of God for it to work for you. It doesn't work apart from the Word of God. So in order for me, you have to be hungry for the Word of God. You have to stay fresh in the Word of God. I don't read my Bible just once a week. I read my Bible every day. I need the Word of God in me every day to nourish my faith or it's not going to grow or it's not going to produce. And God is needing us as the body that understands this message to be operating at a higher level. We need to be speaking to some mountains. How many of us have spent some time, even today, speaking to your mountains? Come on. How do I know, Pastor Jack, that I'm in faith? Because you're speaking it on a daily basis. That's how I know that I'm in faith. How many of us are believing God for something right now? How many times today have you spoken to it? Once? Not at all? twice? Is it written down in front of you? See, if it's important, you'll write it down. If it's important to you, you'll write it down. When I first started working out years ago, years ago, years ago, we would just work out and work out. All of a sudden, someone came into my life who was a professional at what he did, and he started showing me what he did. He kept a journal of every lift that he'd ever done. He could go back 10 years ago and on Monday at 3 o'clock tell you how much he deadlifted, how many sets, and how he felt after he did it. That's dedicated. That's a little crazy too, but that's dedicated. Amen. I wish I had that kind of time. If it's important to us, we'll write it down. 
What are you believing for? If I, if I come to you and say, what's your faith project? You should say, Pastor Jack, this is what I'm believing for. These are the scriptures that I'm standing on. This is my confession. And this is what I'm saying is going to happen in the name of Jesus. You should be able to verbalize it. It's, it's so funny. When people are running for president, oh, aren't we so fond of people running for president these days? It seems like that's all we've heard. When someone asks one of these candidates, why do you want to be president? If they're fumbling for an answer, they don't know. You got to know. Why do you want to be president? Well, I want to be president because of this, 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 and this. That means that they've taken time to think about what they're doing, what they're going to be saying, what they're going to be running on, and really what we're trying to find out, what's important to you? I need to know in two minutes what's important to you. But if you're fumbling for an answer, if I ask you what your faith project is and we're, we don't know, it's not important to you. It needs to be important to us. If it's not important to me, it's not important to God. It's just wishing. How many of you have gone to a birthday party and blown out a candle and made a wish? That's what faith without works is. It equates to me taking change and throwing it into a body of water and hoping and wishing that what I just asked for is going to take place. It's the same thing. Faith without works is dead. Faith without corresponding actions is dead. Say this, if I had faith, I would say. If I had faith... I would say, the number one way for you to know that you're in faith is by what you're saying. You have to say it. I don't mentally assent to it. I don't wish it. I don't hope it. It's what I'm saying. If you don't like the situation that you're in, change what you're saying about it. Quit saying what you have and say what you want. Quit looking at something and identifying it by what it's doing. Look at it and say, this is what I want it to be. This is what I need it to be. Amen? In your marriage, if you're not happy in your marriage, what are you confessing about your marriage? If you're not happy with your kids, what are you confessing about your kids? If you're not happy in your job, what are you confessing about your job? If you're not happy with a coworker, a family member, any of those types of things, then I have to go back and I have to ask, what are you saying about those situations? If you're believing God for biblical prosperity, but every time someone asks you for something or a child needs something and your words are, I can't afford it, then you're not believing for biblical prosperity because you can't confess out of one mouth I'm believing God for more finances and out of the other mouth at the same time say, I can't afford it. We have to change the way that we speak about our situation. The Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth leaketh. It leaks. Amen? Whatever we've been eating on. See, it's kind of like when you go, ladies, when you went on a date with that guy the first time, and he was smooth, and he was clean, and all these guys, you know, they put their thing down, and 
they were able to say things and do things and, you know, really, you know, you keep going out with that guy long enough, sooner enough or later, his mouth is going to leaketh. <laughs> and what's in him is going to come out. It's going to come out. When you take us and you put us in a pressure situation, what's in you? Like if you really want to know what's inside of a Christian, put them in two different places, okay? Number one, if you're a man, put him on the basketball court. Because it's all fun and games until we get competitive and you elbow me and no one calls a foul. Then what's really inside of me is going to come out. I have seen Christian men want to kill each other on a sports field because they felt like the other had done them wrong. It's Christian men love God. But when you take that competitive edge and put it in there, uh-uh, game over. I win. Number two, an all-you-can-eat buffet. You put a Christian in an all-you-can-eat buffet, you are going to find out the fruit of the Spirit really, really fast. What do we do when there's an endless supply of food? Amen? What's in us is going to come out. I do have a sermon in this today somewhere. Are you ready? Matthew chapter 17. We should have some scripture, right? Matthew chapter 17. Did anyone hear Pastor Jack's sermon from Tuesday night on righteousness? Amen. Everybody needs to listen to that sermon. I think he did such an excellent job in explaining justification, sanctification, righteousness, what happened to us, the sin that was washed away. It is vital that each one of us go back and re-listen to that again. He did an excellent job. Excellent. Ex I think he has a future in this. I really do. It was really good. Matthew chapter 17. And it says, beginning in verse 14, And when they had come to the multitude, a man came to him, kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and suffers severely, for he often falls into the fire and often into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. Excuse me. <clears throat> then Jesus said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? So Jesus said to them, Because of your unbelief. For assuredly I say, say I say, that if you have faith as a mustard seed, you would say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible to you. In other words, he said, disciples, if you had faith, you would say. If you had faith, you would say. 
That's how each and every one of us knows that we are in faith. It's because what we say. Let me say this. Every single one of us only truly says the things that we believe. We believe. I truly only say the things that I believe. If I don't believe it, I'm not going to say it because I don't believe it to be true. Amen? I only truly say the things that I believe. That's very, very important. Faith is a seed, listen to me, that can only produce when it's planted. So when I am speaking a word, I am going to sow that word as a seed into the soil. So therefore, I'm only going to sow seeds that I believe are going to produce. What's our most valuable asset? Time. Wouldn't you agree? Is time our most valuable asset? We only give our time to the things that matter the most to us. I can tell you that I love doing all kinds, that I love to run. Oh, I love to run. I can tell you all day long, guys, I just love to run. Man, I just love to run. I got the best shoes, the best shirt. I got the best trail in Houston. I love to run. Pastor Jack, how much did you run this week? Zero. But I love to run. Don't get me wrong. I love to run. Do I really believe what I'm saying? Why? Because there's no corresponding action to back up what I'm saying. Amen. I'm not calling those things not as though they are. I just don't want to run. I want to take my faith-filled words and I want to plant them, but I want to make sure that I believe what I'm saying before I say it. That's faith. I have to believe it. If I had faith, I would say, Jesus said, if you had faith like a mustard seed, have you ever seen a mustard seed? It is about the size of a pinhead. It is a very, very, very tiny seed, but it has the ability to produce a mighty tree. Jesus is not concerned over the quantity of your faith. He's concerned over the quality of your faith. It takes just a little faith. If someone will just believe. That's why Jesus loved children. That's why he said, let them come unto me. Let the children come unto me because they have a childlike faith. They believe me on face value on who I am and what I'm saying. I don't have to talk a child into anything. That's why God wants us at times, and I would say even sometimes in worship, to come to him like a child. Worship him just for who he is and how he is. I'm not playing any games. See, we as adults, we play games. Amen? Do we play games sometimes? I'm not looking at anybody specifically. Everybody's averting their eyes. Is he looking at me? Is he looking at me? We're not playing games. Amen? When I come to God, I want to come to him. I beseech thee, brethren, Romans chapter 12, verse 1, I beseech thee, brethren, by the tender mercies of God, that you present your bodies, what? Living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to him. Amen? No games. So my question was, 
why couldn't the disciples heal this little boy that was an epileptic? Why couldn't they heal him? So Jesus starts giving a dissertation. Go back to verse 17. It says, Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. Who was Jesus speaking to right then? He wasn't talking to the disciples. He was talking to the Father. He was talking to the Father as a representation of all Israel. He was talking to the Father. He hadn't talked to the disciples yet. Right now, he's talking to Israel. And this is going to tail back into some stuff that we've been preaching for months up to this. He said, he first addresses the Father, and he says, Oh, you faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I bear with you? How long has Jesus been bearing with Israel? Was he with them in the wilderness on the way to the promised land? Was he the rock that followed them? Was he the manna that fell from heaven? Jesus had been bearing with them from the very, very beginning. Think about this. Jesus didn't just show up when he was born. Jesus has been around since the very beginning. He had been bearing with Israel the whole time. And Jesus all of a sudden comes to this man and he's like, how long do I have to bear with this generation? And he says, there's two things that I hold against you. Number one, you are faithless. You are unbelieving. You are not faithful because you are unpersuaded. Even now, you are not convinced who I am. You are not convinced who I am. And number two, you are a perverse generation. He says you are um, corrupt, you are um, opposed, you are turned thoroughly into a new shape, which uh, however it's distorted, it's twisted, it's perverted. When he says you're a perverse generation, what he's saying is you are opposite of the shape that you should be. What he's saying to this father is, is I can't believe you even have children that are dealing with epilepsy. How far have we come? I was with you in the wilderness. I was with you when so many of you fell and didn't even make it into the promised land. Israel, if you would have just dealt with these five things... These five things, idolatry, the lust of the flesh, tempting Christ. How, how did we get to this place where you're even bringing me a child that's dealing with epilepsy? You're a covenant people. Oh, how far have you fallen? How far have we fallen? There are so many things that we just tolerate. There's so many mountains in our lives that we just look at and we just, we don't do anything. They've been there for so long now. They've never been moved. They've never been spoken to. They've never been dealt with. And we just add them into our lives as if they've always been there and they always be, will be there. We, as New Testament believers, born again, spirit-filled, filled with the Spirit of God, with the Word of life in us, 
We need to be speaking to our mountains. That's faith. If you had faith, you would say. We need to spend less time, listen to me, this was my last quote, but I'm going to make it, I'm going to fit it in right here. Thinking about your mountains only makes them bigger. Worrying about your mountains only gives them more power. We were not created to think about our mountains. We were not created to wish and hope our mountains away. God gave us his anointing and his faith so that we would do what? Speak. We got to speak to these mountains. If there's a mountain of sickness in your life, you need to speak against it. If there's a mountain of debt in your life, you need to speak against it. And oh, by the way, quit spending along with it. If food is an idol in your life, you have to speak against it. We spend so much time just learning how to live, how to just endure with these things, we come struggling in, oh Lord, and we can, this is where this philosophy of, if I can just scrape in and just get a little cottage on the back piece of heaven, if I can just get in somehow, if I can just squeak in, that's not what Jesus died on the cross for, is for a church that just wants to squeak in somehow in the last batch. We were created to be kings and priest. You are a royal priesthood. Look at me. Look at me. Look at me. You have royal blood flowing through your veins right now. You are a firstborn child of the king. And you don't just have a right because of love. You have a legal right. You have a legal right to everything that God has for you. Every blessing in heaven is waiting at command for you. But we have to speak to the mountain. The mountain is not going to move until you get fed up. When you get, I don't know, my dad used to say it and probably still does say it, but when you get sick and tired of being sick and tired, when you finally get fed up and quit, you know, we get bullied and we get pushed and pushed around and, you know, and, 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 and there's such a spiritual oppression in the earth right now, you know, we just feel this, this thing, it's pushing us down. But when are we as the body of Christ going to stand up and push back? When we get to heaven and we find out that we were in control the whole time, we're going to be at, we're going to be upset. When you find out that God's not sovereign and that it's just not his will for everything to happen, you know, I didn't go to church today. Well, it must have been God's will. You know, the Texans lost again today. Must have been God's will. That's Bill O'Brien's fault. When we go through all of these things and we use this thing, well, God's will. Has anybody ever seen the movie, The Kingdom of Heaven? It's a movie. It was placed back during the Crusades. It's a great movie. But what you find on both sides of the Christians and the Muslims is everything that they did, they always made the catchphrase, God's will. Whatever we want to do, let's make it God's will. Whatever we don't want to do, let's make it God's will. Amen? 
It doesn't work. We are the masters of our own life. One word from God can change your life forever. One word. If someone will dare to stand in faith and believe God's word, nothing will be impossible to that person. Nothing. But we have to believe. We have to get serious about the things of God. Amen? Thank you, Lord. I want you to notice that even Moses in Deuteronomy 38.5 said the same thing that Jesus said thousands of years before. Moses on his deathbed said, they have corrupted themselves. They are not his children because of their blemish, a perverse and crooked generation. Jesus was saying, and Moses was saying, these people have allowed, I cannot, God looked at Israel and he said, I can no longer distinguish my people from the heathens that are around them. They look the same. I can't tell my children apart from those they've been called out from. And because of that, I cannot bless them. So unless they deal with all this stuff, they're never going to be able to move over into the fullness of everything that I have for them. We have to be different. We are children of light. Amen? We are children of light. And we need to begin, we have to live a life equal to the calling that God's given us. Amen? This isn't condemning, this is encouraging. If, you're, if there's an area in your life that you're struggling in, I'm telling you how to get out of it. Is to A, you need to speak to that thing. Quit playing with it. Amen? Get serious about it and walk your way out. Now, we have a lot of 10 and 12-step programs for a lot of things that we have in our earth today. But I don't see one time where Jesus put anybody in a 12-step program. When he healed or delivered somebody, they got healed and delivered. It didn't take a whole lifetime to get free of something. You got free. Why is that? Because they got saved and they got discipled. If we will allow ourselves to be discipled, there's a whole lot of deliverance that can take place on a Sunday morning and, and right here in this room. No rehab, no drugs, no hospitalization, no insurance, no nothing. God can do it right here, right now, but we have to allow him to do it. Amen. And we have to spend time speaking to some mountains. Amen. How many of you are going to speak to some mountains? How about this? How about right now, stand up, and I want you to look at that green screen to my right, and that's your mountain. And I want to see who's brave enough to speak to that mountain, and you have to decide what that is for you. That screen can be debt. That screen can be a child. That screen can be your marriage. It can be anything. But when I count to three, I want you to point to that mountain, and I want you to speak to it. I want you to command it to loose itself, to be cast up from the root, and cast into the sea in Jesus' name. Are you ready? One... Are you thinking about it? You know what you're going to say? Now, if it's something really weird, don't scream it out too loud where people around you can hear it. No, I'm kidding. Are you ready? One, two, three. All right, stop. 
that wouldn't have scared the water off of a duck. That was the softest. In the name of Jesus, I just thank you, Lord, that all the butterflies are going to be good in the earth today. Oh, who's, do you really believe what I'm saying? If you knew that you could speak to this mountain and that mountain had to get up and it had to leave your life forever, what would you say to it? Oh, one, two, three. We're going to really work on this, okay? You may be seated. You got to speak to it. If there was a dog and he was biting your leg, just fluffy, just get off. Just in the name of Jesus. You mean get off of me in the name of Jesus. You would put the fear of God into that dog. You have to put the fear of God into your mountain. You got to get mad. You got to get fed up with being pushed around. 